Welcome to BLC Radio. I'm Charlotte Lakeman. I'm Hayley Cole. I'm Jeff Twentyman, sports presenter at BBC Radio Bristol. So we've got a few questions for you today. Um, so we've got, who are you and what do you do? Well, thanks for the invite to be here. It's wonderful to be part of your radio show. Um, my name's Jeff Twentyman. I present sport on BBC Radio Bristol. I do a daily sports show between 6 and 7 in the late afternoon, early evening. And I present the main sports show on a Saturday afternoon, which should go from 2 o'clock till 6. But because of the different kickoff times that we get, sometimes it can be 12 midday till 8 in the evening. I'm very privileged to have such a, such a great job. So why did you stop playing football? I just got old. <laughs> I realised the back end of my football days when I was playing for Bristol Rovers that you can't play football forever, which is a bit unfortunate for most footballers and every footballer. So I thought, right, what do I want to do after football? And I always enjoyed being interviewed like you guys are doing with me today because I was club captain and I was the PFA man, the union man. So invariably, when the sports reporters came down to Bristol Rovers, they would ask me questions. So I thought, right, let's reverse the roles. Let's be the person like you two guys today asking the questions. And looking for me, I found a course at UWE, the University of the West of England, and I'd go part-time as a student when I was still playing football one or two afternoons a week, got a qualification, and luckily for me, the BBC were interested in me because of my football background, I think, and they gave me a chance, and that was it, a long time ago. Um, who is your favourite teammate? My favourite teammate at Bristol Rovers? Yeah, when you were playing yeah. football. Oh, that's a good question. Uh, my roommate was Nigel Martin, who became the first ever £1 million goalkeeper. He got transferred to Crystal Palace, the first one for a £1 million. And he, he's still a good friend of mine. Um, but I think I'd have to go for Ian Holloway. You ever heard of Ian Holloway? Ollie, big Bristolian, baldy head, big nose like me. Um, we just got a bit of chemistry together and we're still good friends. I mean, I'm still yeah. friends with a lot of the players I played with, but Ian, Ian Holloway and I have got a little bit of, bit of kind of um, DNA, a bit of a dynamic relationship in many ways. He's a good guy. Um, this question is not actually written down, but did you ever meet Ian Wright from I'm Celebrity? Ian Wright, right, right. Yeah. Uh, played against him. Uh, for Bristol Rovers <laughs> against Crystal Palace uh, in, in one of the cups. We, they were at a higher level of football than I played at, but we were drawn together to play in a, in a cup. Um, we played at Selhurst Park, the home of Crystal Palace, and they had a really good Ian Wright and Mark Bright, Bright and Wright, they were really good at the time. And Nigel Martin had left Bristol Rovers, and it was his first time playing against us. Um, they beat us 1-0 or 2-1, it was a close game. So played against him, so yeah, I've kind of met him. He's one of those guys, he, he's quite an intelligent man, and when he's playing against someone, although he doesn't know you, he finds out your name, so he'll say your name during the game, and you think, oh, what a nice bloke he is. I might not, might not kick him, because he's a nice man. But um, he's a good guy, yeah, really nice guy. Do you like Ian Wright? Yeah. Yes. Good, good. Um, where did you start playing football? Where did I start? When? When? Oh, goodness me. My mum and dad, bless them, they're no longer alive, but they used to tell me that I actually kicked the football before I could walk. So when I was a little baby, a toddler, I'd kick the ball. My dad was a footballer, so I guess it's in my genes. So I played football at school, um, and when I was 18 years of age, I was actually on Liverpool's books, Liverpool Football Club. So at school, I would go and do my A-levels at school, studying English, uh, and French at school. Then in the evening, I'd go and play for Liverpool Reserves, their second team, play at Anfield. Then the next day, I'd go back to school, which was a bit surreal, really, to play for Liverpool in the evening and then go back to school the next day. But they were the best team in Europe at the time, and um, I was never going to be good enough to, to make the grade. 
they said, no, sorry, thanks for trying, but I was going to go and be a PE teacher, go and qualify to be a PE teacher. Um, and then about four years later, I played non-league football, semi-professional, and got picked up by Preston. I was 23 at the time, which is quite late into the professional game. Uh, quite, when I say late, I mean in terms of quite old. Old, isn't it? 23. Um, and that was it, really. So I started playing football at 23. had a 10-year career till I was 33, left Rovers, and I've been at the BBC ever since, except for one year with Ian Holloway. I was his assistant manager at Bristol Rovers. Who was your inspiration and like what inspired you to become a footballer? Mum um, and Dad, really. My mum and Dad are amazing people. Um, dad was a footballer for Liverpool a long time ago and he was their chief talent scout for 20-odd years where he was finding the players of the future. So people like Ian Rush, Phil Neal, Alan Hansen, who are big names in the history of Liverpool Football Club. Uh, he found them at a lower level of football. Um, great people, uh, showed me great values, taught me great values. Um, Dad was quite critical. It was hard to impress Dad because he was from a football background and worked for Liverpool Football Club. If I had a good game, the most I'd ever get from him would be a kind of thumbs up, you know what I mean? Never, oh, well played, you were great today. Never, ever made you think you were really good. Um, but because of that, probably made me try harder to be as good as I could and as best as I could be. So, yeah, mum and dad, without any shadow of a doubt. What made you become a sports journalist? Um, a passion for sport, really. Uh, beyond football, I've always been interested in, in, um, in football and other sports. And when I was, when I was young... Um, Used to Subutio, you ever heard of the game Subutio? Little, you have little football figures and you flick them around a football pitch. And Mum used to tell me when I went to the BBC, she said, You're always going to do this. I said, Why was that then, Mum? She said, Well, you used to play Subutio in the lounge and you used to commentate as you were flicking the players around. So you'd do all the names and all the action. And when the ball went in the net, you got really excited. She said, You're always destined to be a a sports commentator of that that kind of thing. So maybe it's just always been in there somewhere. Um, and when I finished football or was going to finish football, I thought, right, I want to do something with the rest of my life that I want to feel energised by. I want to get out of bed in the morning and think, right, I'm going to work. I really got to love what I do. Um, and the next best thing to not playing to playing football is or sport is commentating on it and covering it. So that's that's probably why I went that way. And I was lucky that it all all worked out nicely for me. So, which job do you actually prefer? Which job? What a good question. Um, they're very similar because when you play football, the crowd is there. And if you do something good, which I didn't do very often, they would cheer and applaud. If you did something bad, you'd, uh, you'd hear the kind of disgruntled voices. Um, you don't see your audience on radio. Like, we're chatting now and all your people are going to listen to this. They, they, you don't see them and they don't see you. But you get the same buzz when the red light goes on, like we're chatting now. It's, it's a bit of an adrenaline rush, isn't it? We're all excited about what we're doing. So the similarities between playing football and broadcasting. Um, which do I enjoy the most? Probably being a radio presenter. Um, Who is your favourite colleague? Favourite colleague? Where I work now. Wow, what a good question again. These are your questions. Very yeah. good. Um, I get on with a lot of people. In, 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 I'm part of a sports team, and you know we all work together covering football, rugby, cricket, and all the various sports. Um, I wouldn't say I've got an absolute favourite. Um, one of the things, if I talk to people who are aspiring to be sports presenters or, or, or commentators or radio presenters, the most important thing, well, there's two important things, 
one of which is to be yourself. So don't try and be someone else when you're behind the microphone. Just be very natural and be like you guys are, just just yourselves. That's why you've got the gig. That's why you're radio presenters, because you're good at what you do. So I don't really have a favourite colleague as such. We all get on together and we all just try and deliver the best radio output for BBC Radio Bristol. Poor answer that, wasn't it, really? <laughs> <laughs> so what's the best part about the show? Like Just being live on the radio. Just being live and know people are listening and know that what you say is what they hear. You don't get a second chance. It is literally live. So the BBC output right across local radio, network radio, Radio 1, Radio 2, radio, all the radios on the BBC is live. Some of the independent stations, they have a 10-second delay. So if something goes wrong, they can stop it going on the radio by pressing a button. Whereas with radio, uh, the BBC, what I say is what people hear. And that, that in itself is... Exciting, really exciting. It's a privileged job. I, I go to sports grounds. I go to big finals. I go to Wembley. Um, been to some amazing places and met some amazing people. But the, the important thing you, you guys remember, if you if you have a career in in broadcasting, um, whoever you meet, they're ordinary people. They may have a good job. They may have an exciting job, but they're ordinary people. And you just te- teach them with respect. Look them in the eye, like like we're doing, and, and nod and be that's really good skills that you've got there. I mean, I've, you know, I've interviewed the Prime Minister, I've interviewed big sports people. They're not, they're good at what they do, but they're not better people. So all you do is be, be courteous, ask good questions, listen to what they say, because they may say something really interesting that you may get a better second question than what you're going to ask anyway. And um, I, I just a privileged job, really. I just love what I do. People say to me, you enjoy your job, don't you? I say, yeah, I do enjoy my job. How do you know that? They say, well, you can tell. When you listen to you, you're engaged. You know, I'm interested in people um, and your challenge as presenters is to be interesting so that people tune in and say, right, I want to listen to Haley. I want to listen to Charlotte. And at a certain time of the day, on they go, listen to the radio or the podcast. They think, right, when's the next pod coming out? I want to listen to these guys because they're good. Thank you. Um, uh, um, so have you seen Around the School yet? Uh, not not yet. Uh, I got lost actually coming here. I went. To, I, I was only. I, I, you know when you're close but not close enough. Yeah. So I went to the wrong place. So um, I think I'm going to be shown around. What I've seen of it, it's amazing. School looks looks. I didn't realise it was ten years old. I thought it was, I thought it was newer than that. Um, and it's funny really because I, when I go to football grounds or training grounds, football, rugby, you you walk in and and you sense the mood in the place. You just sense it straight away. When football clubs are struggling, it's a kind of sombre mood and there's not much happiness around the place and um, coming in here today it was a real a real vibe a real good feel about it it seems like a happy school a happy place to come you know more about than me but my my first impressions are really good impressions so if there was like one tv show that you have to be on or you would want to be on what would that be one tv show that i'd want to be on uh, I'm not a massive TV watcher, I've got to be honest. Uh, I don't make appointments to, to watch TV. I, I do quite a bit of catch-up television. Um, I'm more of a radio listener and speech radio as opposed to, to music radio. It sounds quite boring, but that's just the way you get when you get to my age. Uh, be on a TV programme, let me go on Match of the Day and either present it, give Gary Lineker the Saturday night off, or just be one of their pundits in the chair and analyse another Liverpool victory and why they won by nine goals to nil and become champions of the Premier League. They're my team, by the way. <laughs> so if you, had to, if you had to quit your job for anything that you wanted to be, what would it be? You know what? I don't ask for much, really, because I've had two jobs in life, really. One's been a footballer 
and one's being a, a radio presenter. And I think for most people to do one of those things would be amazing. And for me, I'm very privileged and feel very lucky that um, I've done both. But to quit the lot and have a go at something different um, in a total world of fantasy thinking, as if I was ever going to be good enough, I've got a real passion for playing golf. I like golf. So I'd like to have a go at being a professional golfer, travel the world, uh, win a few tournaments, win loads of money, have loads of flashy cars and have a happy lifestyle. So uh, playing golf. Although having said that, Chris Wood, who's the Bristol golfer, you may or not have heard of Chris Wood, um, born and raised in Bristol, tour golfer. He's won tournaments, really good. And he, I, he's a friend of mine. And he says it's not quite as glamorous as it sounds because living in hotels, you know, go to one country and have four or five nights in a hotel, maybe come home for one week, go away for three weeks in a row, different countries. But hotel living isn't quite as glamorous. Well, he's, he's trying to tell me this, but I'd still, I'd still love to do it. I'd love to have a go. Yeah. I don't have any um, more questions. Um, so, do you think that footballers um, get um, too much money or not enough money? Well, footballers at the very top end of the game, the Premier League players get far too much money. Um, I was reading an article this morning that um, Liverpool are looking to sign a player and he's only going to be on, only going to be on £190,000 a week. Yeah. Only. Only. Um, <laughs> Mo Salah, who's an outstanding footballer, is on. Apparently, I didn't know this. He's on two hundred thousand pounds a week. Um, it's ridiculous, isn't it? It is ridiculous. But you're getting into a, a whole different um, discussion as to whether you can suppress and control how much someone earns from doing their job. Because all of a sudden, you open up the the whole debate. You analyse sports people. You can analyse politicians, you can analyse all kinds of people in all walks of life and how would you ever stop, would you put a ceiling on how much someone can earn, I don't know that's a political discussion which is probably beyond my um, my knowledge and desire to get involved in really um, the thing that does worry me is that while the top end of the English football is getting more and more affluent more and more money, there's clubs at the bottom end of the game who to many people are equally as important or more important who for example Berry, who've gone out of business other clubs struggle to maintain life from Monday to Tuesday, Tuesday to Wednesday. So there needs to be something. The football authorities need to look into the finances of football and look after the smaller clubs in a better way to make sure their well-being is guaranteed um, and too much money goes to the top end of football, really. What, what do you think about um, women's football? What do I think about it? I think it's wonderful. Football and rugby, the women's sport, the way both sports have evolved um, over the last probably three or four years. There's been re a real push for both women's football and women's rugby from the top end of the game. The problem I've got with women's football is the next big step they make is how do they get more people watching? How do they generate more money through the turnstiles? Um, they're starting to get more and more media coverage. Um, BBC cover games. There's a lot of the women's football on the BBC Sport website. But when you go and watch, say, Bristol City women, their crowds rarely get beyond a 1,000. And their big challenge as a sport is how do they get more people watching women's football? Um, they've got to get more active in the community. They've got to be a bit more intelligent and clever with how they can attract people to watch have they ever been to your school and said right here's free tickets come and watch us play have you ever had that opportunity 
See, no, you haven't. So that's the kind of just little things they could do. So if they say, right, come down. Sunday, we've got a home game. You're all welcome. It's completely free. You think, wow, that's a good, that's a good opportunity. Let's go. Mum and dad take you down there. Brothers and sisters come as well. Then you enjoy it. The next game, you think, oh, we want to go and watch them again. And then you'll pay a few pounds to watch them. And then you can just slowly but surely increase your fan base. And that's the big challenge both women's football and women's rugby face. The big, the big tournaments, the World Cup, they get huge crowds in France for the Women's World Cup in football. Incredible numbers. 70,000 people watching games. But at this level, at this local level, they need to uh, generate more people through the turnstiles and get more people watching. So go back to the, do football footballers get too, too much or not enough money? Um, there's a big kind of debate that we kind of get asked, like in school, it just comes up every now and again. Why do footballers get paid more than soldiers? And Mr. Douglas keeps on saying it's because they earn the views. And what, they earn what, sorry? Earn views, they like, because they get paid by views and like they'd earn it. And Mr. Douglas, he's a sports player, he's a rugby player. And he's very like, they should, like, soldiers should get paid more, but that's just a big question. Yeah, like, it's a, it's a, it's a, and it's a great debate. I mean, yeah. if, if the Prime Minister is, so say, the most important person in the country because they run the country and they don't earn anything like as much as a football manager at a, at a championship club, I mean, people who, I imagine Lee Johnson, who manages Bristol City, earns more than the Prime Minister. I'm pretty sure about that, which, again, would, would be very strange. The thing about football is, um, and historically, it's always been the people's sport. I mean, it attracts people to come and watch. So Manchester United get crowds of 70,000 people at Old Trafford. If that ground held 100,000, they'd get 100,000 people at Old Trafford. And because sponsors then come in accordingly and the TV companies all like to, to promote and cover football, and that generates more and more income from sponsorship... Um, they just spend more and more money and the players earn more and more money. And without wanting to offend anyone, I've got to be careful how I phrase this, um, there's only a finite number of people can play for the Premier League clubs, Liverpool, Manchester City, Manchester United. Um, and people who go into the armed forces, uh, they learn skills when they're in there, but almost anybody can go and apply to be a, a soldier or a sailor or in the Navy and all of that. Whereas... Although lots of people would want to be a would want to be a footballer, there's only a finite number actually are good enough to be a footballer, and, and that's an important thing to remember. I don't want to offend anyone by what I'm saying there. No. Um, so, do you have any questions for us? Uh, why are you sat behind the microphones with headphones on? Then, what's the attraction of being uh, radio presenters to you guys? Um, well, Haley's sister was actually on it last season, and. I find that quite interesting, and then I seen a poster in the school because they were looking for people to do it. And I thought I'll sign up for that and see if I like it, and I do like it. I really enjoy it. What do you enjoy the most about presenting and asking questions? I don't know. It's kind of just a chance that you get because it's if you think about it, it's quite big. Like although it's just a little club, it's like really big. Like you get that like little five minutes of fame, and it's nice. Um. I like it because it's fun to hear about what other people have to say about other things and um, their opinions on things. And I just really like it because you can see other people's lifestyle and, um, like, you can meet big people and everyone is, like, really talkative on this show. 
So, have you got ambitions to be presenters on radio when, when the time comes, when you're older? Yeah. Um, I would do it if I got the opportunity, but I've kind of... I'm more going towards, like, not studio, but, like, musical theatre. Okay, cool, yeah. So, if you could present a radio show or a TV programme right now, which one would you present, Hayley? I would do TV programme. I'd do radio because I don't like being on camera. Okay, yeah, it's more relaxed, isn't it? And is it a radio show you'd like to present? No, I'd like to make up my own radio, but that would be somewhere else. It's either I would like to do radio or I'd like to be an artist somewhere. And Charlotte, what would you like to present then? I would do a TV show. TV show? don't know why, just... I would prefer to do a TV show because yeah, yeah. it's more like I have been on TV before, but like it wasn't very big. But it's just nice because like your friends come up to you, oh yeah, you were on TV. Like I seen you last night or whatever. And it'd be nice just, and you get to like, I don't know, because there's more variety that you could do on TV. Yeah, t- t- TV is more memorable because people remember visually a face on the on the TV because you see it, whereas a voice is something that is kind of like secondary removed. You know, you, people do... I can be out socially and someone could be stood next to me in the pub and they might, I might order drinks. And this I, I know when people recognise because you can just feel their body language tilting towards you. And they go, uh, you're that voice, you're that bloke off the radio, aren't you? You do the sport. I went, yeah, that's right, yeah. You go, um... Your voice is the same as the one on the radio, though. I said, well, should it be any different? They say, well, haven't you got a radio voice? I said, no, no, the whole essence is, it's me. That's, and that's what I said to you guys earlier, if and when you're doing it now, always be yourself, you know what I mean? You don't try and be someone else and sound really different on the radio because that's not the way you sound. The reason people put you on the radio is because who you are at source, really, you know? It's really important. And the key is to be, and you, you, you've... I've sensed it with you both. You're, you're interested, or you seem interested in what I'm saying. You nod and you've got good eye contact and you smile and you engage. That's really important, you know? So be interested in your guests and be interesting to your audience. They're the, they're the kind of key things to think about. Exciting. I wish I'd done this at your age. Didn't do it till I was 30-something. Really old. Um. So, yeah, thank you for being on the show. It's been a pleasure. You're like... Yeah, you were the second BBC radio presenter in Bristol that we've had on the show. Excellent. Well, it's been a pleasure being on your show, and I'd like to wish you both every success going forward. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me.